You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. We're studying through the book of Colossians. I want to ask you a question. The question is the title of the message this morning. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? And of course, the he to whom I'm referring is Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? In just a few moments, we're going to be standing together. We'll be reading a passage of Scripture from Colossians as we continue our verse-by-verse study through this book. In this passage, beginning with verse 14, continuing down through the 19th verse, I think is the most significant passage in all of the Bible relative to the ministry of Christ. I do not believe you can find a passage of Scripture any place, any place, that says more, that is so filled with meaning when it comes to defining the life and the ministry of Christ than this passage that we're going to consider this morning. This preacher is not big enough for this passage. This sermon is not big enough for this passage. You could live in this passage, I think, for years and never, never plumb the depths of it. It's almost an insult to take a few moments this morning and just scratch the surface of this passage and and allow some of the light that is in it to come out. That's what we're going to attempt to do in these next few moments. I want to remind you that the people of Colossae had such an unusual way of looking at the Christian faith. And because there were so many uh, myths and fables and legends and because they had so many different religions, there is the word syncretism. That means they began to gather up things from other religions and to stick them in here and stick them in there in their faith, in their system of belief. And finally, they, they came to the conclusion that that Jesus maybe was something less than God. And so in this passage of Scripture, we're going to discover that Christ is preeminent. It pleased the Father that in Him should dwell all the fullness of God. Who is He, however, to you? Picture a street scene, any great town in America, and walking along that street is a, is a man well-dressed. He goes from shop to shop. As he enters one shop and then another, no one particularly notices, although the attendants in those shops, the sales clerks, they give him uh, uh, the attention that a sales clerk ought to give them. And, and he maybe purchases a suit in one shop and he goes down another and he purchases something for his wife and he goes from one store to the next, hardly creating any kind of disturbance at all other than the fact that he's just a shopper like thousands of other shoppers on that street. People don't really give him the time of day. Nobody even nods. Some people may greet him as he walks along the street if they are particularly friendly. He doesn't pay much attention to them. They don't pay much attention to him. This same man then gathers up all that he has purchased. He goes out of the airport. He he gets on an airplane. He flies a great distance across the sea to another country. And when he steps off of the plane in that country... There is a military band playing. There are rows, rank upon rank of soldiers standing there. There are people who literally bow before him. Now, what's the difference? Well, here, he's just a visitor. There, he is king. 
I want to ask you, who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Stand with me, if you will, please, in honor of the word. I want to begin reading with verse 13, although really I'm reading verse 13 to remind you about the one we are going to address in these next few moments. That is his dear son. Remember, we read in verse 13 that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, all that is to be said next has to do with the son of God, Jesus, our Savior, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Our, the word there is very interesting. All things hold together. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Now let's bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer. And Father, as we bow before you, our heart's desire is that you would bring to this service that kind of eager attentiveness that rapt attention, that riveting focus upon your word and upon you and most especially, dear God, our Savior, the Son, Jesus. Father, I pray that in the moments that we spend together, we will understand how important it is for every one of us to acknowledge him for who he is, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator, of all things. And Father, I pray that somehow you would give us a way of understanding. Help us, Lord, this morning to be able to wrap our hearts around the truth of this passage, as difficult as it may be for us to comprehend because it is so large in scope, so majestic, so deep, and so high. Father, I pray that somehow you allow us to embrace with our spirit, not just our intellect, but to comprehend and apprehend the truth of this passage. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated, but be sure and keep your Bible open to Colossians chapter 1. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? Did you know that there are many people who have a smaller idea of Jesus than what the Bible tells us Jesus is. There was a book written one time about God. It was entitled, ironically enough, Your God is Too Small. And in that book, of course, the author attempted to point out the fallacy of believing that God is something less than God, believing that he's like the great grandfatherly figure, or like he's a divine policeman who blows a whistle every time you're doing something that's having fun, that, that's, that's fun. 
or that he sits up on a cloud and sort of passes the time, or that he's created the earth, wound it up, thrown it into space, and has gone away to do something else, and is not personally interested in you. Well, all of those, says the author, are small ideas of God. I have discovered that there are many small ideas of Jesus. And one of the things that separates Christianity from religions, and I want to remind you that religion is man's attempt to get to God. The word religion, return to the law, or return to the bondage of ritual. Man's attempt to get to God. But Christianity is God coming to man. That is the one distinction above all others of the Christian faith. It is a relationship with God, a personal relationship with a personal God. Now, the significance of that is staggering. My prayer before the message this morning was that God's Holy Spirit would in some way impart this to you because I can't. Words cannot do it. Illustrations cannot do it. It will only be when God, by the miraculous work of His Holy Spirit, opens up your heart and plants this truth within it that your life and my life will be changed. Who is He to you? I want you to look at the life of our Lord Jesus from three different aspects. As a matter of fact, we might say that there are three different entities who are going to come this morning, and they're going to give us a testimony about who Jesus is to them. Now, before deciding who Jesus is to you, I think you would want to hear from God. It's important to know who He is to God. I think you would want to hear from all of creation. It's important to understand His relationship with all of creation. And I think you would want to hear from the church their definition of who, is Jesus, who Jesus is before you decided who Jesus is to you. And so with your Bible open to Colossians chapter 1, let's answer this question. Who is Jesus to you? Now, I can tell you who He is to me, and we'll talk about who He is to God and to creation and the church, but all through this, I want you to think, uh, asking yourself this question, is He that to me? Have I understood Jesus and worshiped Him as being the person the Bible says he is. And so let's look at who Jesus is. First of all, in relation to God. You might want to write these words down or at least remember them. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact character of God. Let me say that again. Jesus is the exact character of God. Now, over in the the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, and you don't need to turn to that passage, but in the third verse of the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, the author uses a phrase. He says he is the express image. And if we were to take the Greek word that is translated there, express image, it would sound just like our English word character. Character. There's a different word, however, used in this passage. Notice in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, what I want you to understand and what the Apostle Paul was wanting the Christians in Colossae to understand is this. Jesus is not just a look-alike. He is God. Jesus is God. He is God incarnate. That word carnate carnivorous in the flesh. He is God in the flesh, but He is God. The uh, fathers in their 
creeds would have a testimony that went something like this. He is God of very God. Jesus is God. He is the very form of God. He is the exact character of God. Now, you have your Bible open to Colossians chapter 1, and so I want you to see two statements that the Apostle Paul makes just to undergird this truth. First of all, he says he is, verse 14, or verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. No man has seen God at any time. As a matter of fact, uh, the woman at the well asked Jesus, uh, where do we worship God? He said, God is a spirit. But there is one time when this world had an opportunity to see God in the flesh right before them, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the image, and that, there the word is another word that you're, with which you're familiar. It is the word icon. Icon, the very image of the invisible God. He's not a copy. He is really God but he is in the flesh here with us. God is invisible. He is the visible manifestation of God. Maybe I can express it this way. I talked with a lady one time who told me what it was like when she was growing up with her father away in the war. He was in Korea, I think, during the Korean conflict. And she said, uh, I was born just uh, a little while before my father left for Korea. And so she said, I had no uh, recollections of my father in the flesh. But she said, as I grew up, my mother would point to pictures on the wall and she'd say, that's your daddy. One of these days, your daddy's going to come home. She said, when I would fall down, I would run home and my mother would pick me up, cradle me in her arms. She'd say, there, there. Daddy would want you to be a brave little girl. You know, daddy loves you. You know, daddy's coming home one of these days. She said, many times after the postman came, I would ask mother, have we got a letter from daddy? And she said, yes, daddy's written the letter. And listen to what daddy says to you. And she would read the words of her father to her. And she said to me, my daddy was a picture on the wall, a letter in the mail, and the testimony of my mother. But she said, one day I came in from playing outside and there in the living room, there stood a person who looked exactly like that picture on the wall. She said, my daddy was home. From that moment on, she said, you cannot know the difference. It wasn't my mother telling me what my daddy wanted me to do. She said, my daddy was there. She said, you cannot imagine. She said, I love to climb up my dad's lap and he would hug me and he would kiss me and he would love me. And she said, it was so wonderful when daddy came home. More than a picture, more than a testimony, more than words, that's my daddy. Now, I want to tell you that Jesus is more than a picture. He is more than the testimony. He is more than the words of the Bible. He is God in the flesh. He is the image, the Bible says, of the invisible God. Jesus really is God, all right? Now, that's important for you to understand. He's not less than God. He is God. Notice also he says here, and this is just to straighten us out as well as the Christians in Colossae, he said he is the firstborn of every creature. Now, there are a lot of people, in fact, there were some back in those days who used, look at that word firstborn, and they said, uh, that means he's born. There is God, and then God made 
Jesus. So if that was the case, the Creator is always bigger than the thing He creates, so God is bigger than Jesus, and Jesus is not really God. By the way, there are groups uh, among us who believe the same way. For instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They would say Jesus is not God. Uh, Jesus, He is like God in a lot of ways, but He is not God. And uh, when folks like that come to my door, and I don't... Uh, try to argue with them, and I certainly don't want to be mean to them because they're doing the best they know with the truth that, that they have, as, as twisted as it may be. But I take them over to the prophet Isaiah, and I read to them about the Messiah. And there, the Bible says that his name, whose name? The Messiah, Jesus, shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, what else? The Mighty God, Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And so Jesus is not just like God. Now, what is this word? It is the word prototokos. We get our word prototype here. But it means more than that. It means he is first over all creation. Let's look at it again. He is the firstborn of every creature. If you look that, like that at that in the original language, it would be he is the firstborn who is over, or first over all creation or creatures. Over in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, verses 7 through 9, we find Philip. J.R. Church and I were visiting on the telephone a couple of days ago, and he reminded me of this passage of Scripture, J.R., and I'm grateful for that because um, it was there that Philip, you know, said to Jesus, he said, he said, Jesus, you could do us a real favor. If you would show us the Father... You know, we're your friends. Show us the Father and it would suffice. That would be sufficient for us. And uh, Jesus never sinned by being, you know, in an unholy way angry at people, but perhaps with a little righteous indignation. He said, Philip, have I been with you so, such a long time and you've not really known me? He who has seen me has seen whom? The Father. For I and the Father are one. And so it's important for you to understand that as far as God is concerned, and that's the, the opinion that really counts, isn't it? God says, Jesus is my exact character. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the exact character of God, coming to earth, dwelling in the flesh. Now, that's how Jesus relates to God. What about his relationship to all of creation? All right, we've said, first of all, he's the exact character of God. What about creation? He is the enthroned chief of all creation. He is the enthroned chief. And I want to underline both of those words. He is the enthroned chief of all of creation. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, if you just circle those two verses and somehow let God help you to make a mental note if you don't make an actual note there in the margin of your scripture. But those two verses speak of three things, at least relative to Jesus and creation. All right? Now, notice, first of all, he says, Jesus 
is the instrument of creation, his instrumentality. That is, he is the one who created everything. Notice, by him were all things created. He is the creator. He is the creator. We read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now when we get over into the New Testament to the Gospel of John, John informs us as to how this happens. He says here, all things were made by him, that is by Jesus. And without him was not anything made that is made. So Jesus is the creator, the instrumentality of our Lord as related to creation. He is the creator. We are his by virtue of creation. We should want to adore him by virtue of the fact that he is the one who made us. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they who dwell therein. His instrumentality. But I want you to see something that's even more significant, and that is the inclusiveness of our Lord in creation, the inclusiveness of our Lord in creation. He not only was instrumental in creating, Everything that is created, everything that is, is included in what he created. Notice what he says here. By him were all things created. Verse 17, he is before all things. Verse 19, it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. Verse 16, all things were created by him and for him. All inclusive. Now, just so that we won't miss the point, the Apostle Paul uh, goes into some detail for us. He says, things in heaven as well as things on earth. We think about creation as being what's on earth, but he says, things in heaven as well as things on earth. Did you know that it's estimated now by astronomers that there are as many stars, and of course, our sun is a star with its own solar system, but there are as many stars in galaxies out in the universe as there are sands on all the beaches of this earth. Can you imagine that? 10 to the 25th power. As many stars with their own systems revolving around them as there are sands. You go out to the beach and you just pick up sand and let it drift and you think about all the beaches of the world, as many stars as there are sands on the beaches of this world. Things you can see, he says here, things in heaven and things on earth. Notice what else he says, things that are visible, things you can see. He said, in case you wonder about it, there's a whole other kingdom out there that you can't see and he created them too things which are visible and things which are invisible. They're visible things like this earth. They're invisible things like gravity, the pull of gravity. Things visible, things invisible. He even gets more, more definitive. He says, inanimate objects, things is that word. By him were all things created, inanimate things, things that don't move, but also animate beings, things that move, think, exist, have life. He says, by the way, that's true whether they're angelic or whether they're earthly. Why, no matter what order they're in, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, whether that is on earth or whether it is in the spiritual world, 
He created them all. Think about that. When you think about who Jesus is to you, He created them all. You, an angel, this earth, heaven, it is all created by Him, created for Him. Isn't that interesting? It's created not only by Him, it is created for Him. He didn't create something here for the purpose of exalting someone else. There was no one else. It's created by Him and for Him. But notice one other thing. Notice His importance in creation. Not only His instrumentality, not only His inclusiveness, but notice His importance as we see Him as the enthroned chief of all creation. His importance. Now, this is an interesting verse 17. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Now, first of all, this phrase, He is before all things, that means before anything came to be, He was. He, there was Him before there was anything. He is before all things. There was nothing except Jesus, then all things that were created. He is before all things. But notice also, by Him all things consist. That means everything just sort of stays together. There is cohesion. Things don't just fly apart. By Him all things hold together. Did you know that without the attention of the Lord Jesus to all of creation, it would all literally fly apart? Did you know that? Without the attention that Jesus gives to all of creation, it would all literally fly apart. Did you know that more and more we are discovering the awesomeness of God in the very atoms of the world? The very basic building block, an atom. I mean, you could get millions of them on the head of a pen, an atom. Uh, scientists will tell you that an atom makes them scratch their head because, you see, everything that they know about the laws of physics tell you that an atom can't stay together. Things which have opposite poles should fly apart, and yet, for some reason, atoms stay together. They, they hold together, and, and a, a, a scientist would say, that doesn't make sense. And as a matter of fact, I was reading in John MacArthur's book on the book of Colossians, and he quotes, Jay, he quotes uh, uh, Carl K. Darrow of the Bell, these are the AT&T laboratories, and uh, this man is talking about the structure of the atom, and this scientist in the Bell Laboratory says, as a scientist, I have to tell you, all nuclei, that's what's at the very heart of an atom, he said, all nuclei have no right to be alive. They, they, there's no reason for them to be around here at all. Indeed, he says, they should never have been created. In other words, he says, their existence runs against everything we know about the laws of physics. If created, they should have blown up instantly. He said, we have learned how to split the atom. He said, what keeps, what keeps us from just blowing up? He said, if they ever existed, they should have blown up instantly. And, said, and yet he said, here they are, the basic building block of all of the universe. And he says, there is, and of course, he doesn't give testimony to God, but he, he sort of does in a... In a in a backhanded way. He said, there is some inflexible inhibitor. We don't want to call him God, you see, but there is an, there is an inflexible inhibitor, an inhibition. He said, holding them relentlessly together. Goes on to say, the nature of this inhibitor is a secret. Well, to him. 
But he said, the nature of this inhibition is a secret. He said, one thus far reserved by nature for herself. The Bible says all creation gives testimony to the reality of God. He is instrumental in creation. Everything is included in that creation. He is so important that if he is not attending to us today, everything flies apart. He is the exalted chief, or rather the enthroned chief of all creation. So we've seen him as the exact character of God, the enthroned chief of all creation. Who is he to the church? All right, he is the exalted captain of the church. He is the exalted captain of the church. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. That means be in first place, very simply. In everything, he might be number one. He might be number one. You see these people on uh, TV and the team's doing great. Boy, you can see a lot of right, that right now. We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. I wonder what it sounds like to God. We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. No, he's number one. He is the exalted captain of the church. Notice his position. He is the head of the body. I want to tell you something. The body needs to all be together, but it can do without certain parts. It can, it can still exist to some extent without certain parts. But I'll tell you, there's one thing you cut off when you had not got a body, and that's a head. He is the head of the body. Everything emanates from him. Notice he left us not only his position, but his pattern. He is the beginning. In other words, he's the first one who showed us after he died and with his death redeemed us, we've already read in verse 14, after he redeemed us by his death on the cross, he showed us what people who believe in him will experience. They will be alive. They will be resurrected from the dead. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is, the firstborn out of the dead. He showed us that you can have eternal life. His life was the pattern for that. And notice his preeminence. In all that in all things, he might have the preeminence. He might be number one. But, but who is he to you? Who is he to you? We've seen him as the exact character of God, the enthroned chief of creation, We've seen him as the exalted captain of the church. Who is he to you? My wife bought a book for our children some years ago, and Kareem, you'll appreciate this. The book was a Russian story, and the title of the story was uh, My Mother is the Most Beautiful Woman in the World. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that story or legend or fable or something like that, but you're going to like it. And it's from Russia, and don't tell anybody any different, okay? All right. <clears throat> but it's a Russian lady. It's my mother, it says, is the most beautiful woman in the world. And um, the story is very simple. A little girl is found in a wheat field. She's lost. And uh, she can't remember her name, at least her last name. And the people begin looking around. And they say, where is your family? You know, who, who, where, where do you belong? And finally, someone says, well, who is your mother? And all she can think of to say is, my mother is the most beautiful woman in the world. 
And so uh, they, they set out to find her mother. They, they look around the wheat field, not anybody very pretty out there. And so they went into town. They took this little girl into town and they thought of two or three ladies in town. You gotta know this was an embarrassing thing for the, everybody else. But they thought of two or three ladies in town who were sort of strikingly beautiful. And so they brought these ladies before this girl and she shook her head and there wasn't any of them. And so they, they, they got in touch with some of the surrounding towns and they said, send the most beautiful ladies. You know, we've got a little lost girl over here. She says her mother's the most beautiful woman in the world. Send these ladies over here. And so uh, these other ladies come. And I mean, they're, you know, they're just, some of them are knockouts and some of them just think they're knockouts, you know. But they're over there and they're smiling at this girl. And this girl says, uh, that's not my mama. And that's not my mama. And she's not my mama. And she's not my mama. Boy, they are so frustrated. And they're sitting there trying to think what to do. And um, in the crowd out there, pushing through the crowd, is this rather dumpy-looking lady. She hair is pulled back, you know, and a scarf, and, and she's snaggletooth, and she's uh, a lot of pounds overweight, and her clothes are, are sort of dirty, and she's got a wash rag, and she's washing, you know, she's been at the kitchen sink, and she's drying off her hands, and she's furtively looks. She comes through the crowd, and this little girl's eyes just brighten up, and a big smile breaks across her face. She says, there she is, my mother. Didn't I tell you folks? She's the most beautiful woman in all the world. That's a neat story, isn't it? Who is he to you? You see, to the world, the people who don't know Jesus, he's the one to be crucified. He's the one to be mocked. He's the one to be misunderstood. He's the one to be spit upon. He's the one to put aside. He's the one to reject. But I want to tell you something. To blood-bought, born-again believers, to people who are part of the family of God, he is the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, creator of all things. Now, who is Jesus to you? Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I'm going to ask our counselors to come. They'll be standing right here at the front. This is invitation time. Your personal invitation to come to Jesus. If you've made a decision in our church recently, for instance, those of you who were baptized this morning, Others of you have joined by baptism or, or been baptized or joined by a letter from a sister church and we've not introduced you. You've come to another service. Maybe you came Wednesday night or last Sunday night. We've not introduced you to your church family. I'm going to ask you the moment we begin singing to make your way forward and be seated over here to my left, to your right, where it says seating for new members. I believe there are people here this morning who will want to come and become a part of this church family and I would urge you to make that decision. If Jesus is to you, King of kings and Lord of lords, creator, savior, well, I want to urge you to come and just become a part of this church family. Some are coming even now to say, we want to plant our lives in this church. We want to be a part of this church family. And I rejoice in that. Still others are coming. That's it. You don't have to wait till we sing. If God's spoken to your heart, you know you ought to be a part of this church. You just come and join. But you know something I believe? There's some people here this morning who would say, you know, I want Jesus as my Savior and the Lord of my life. I want to know if I die, I'll go to heaven. I want him to be everything to me. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know I have eternal life. Well, dear friend, Jesus can become everything to you this morning. If you will, by faith, turn from sin and receive him as your Savior. And I want to encourage you to come and join people who are already coming to this altar. 
You find one of these counselors and just say something this simple. I want to trust Jesus this morning. I want to trust Jesus this morning. Young or old, mom or dad, grandparent, single, family. I want to trust Jesus. We want to trust Christ this morning. Receive him by faith as our Savior. He died on the cross for you. He's risen from the grave. He's coming again. And the decision you make in this lifetime has everything to do with where you're going to spend your eternity. Who is he to you? Will you this morning receive Christ by faith as your Savior? You may need to turn to a friend and say, look, I'm a little bit afraid to go on myself. Would you go with me? Or you may need to turn to someone around you and say, look, if you'd like to receive Christ or join this church, I'll go with you. Dear friend, won't you come right now and say yes to Jesus? I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Our choir is going to begin to sing a hymn of invitation. I'd like for us to sing. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. If your decision this morning is to receive Jesus by faith as your Savior, to join this church, I want to urge you to come. You may want to come and just kneel here at this altar if you have some prayer need or if you'd like to talk to a counselor. Your invitation is to say yes to Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit doing your work in this place will bring people to say yes to Jesus this morning, that Jesus will become everything to us today. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Let's sing together. I've decided to follow Jesus. And once you make that decision right now, as people are coming, you just join them. No turning back.